I think I just realized. What? We've been covering a lot of our parents' generation's music and a lot of what's going on in music today, but there's a pretty good gap that we've been missing lately. Yeah, because I think we've hit, I know for sure we've hit the 50s. Oh, yeah. We've hit the 80s. Mm-hmm. Then we've hit today. We haven't talked about the 90s hardly at all. No, and it's a shame. I think even if like we didn't really grow up in the 90s, we still grew up listening to 90s music, and we have an appreciation for that. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about 90s music before in the past, going all the way back to the White Stripes in our radio show days. Oh, those were a good one, too. I miss those. Yeah, but it's, I think it's come due that we talk about 90s music again. Throwback Thursdays, even though it's Monday. Throwback Monday can be a thing. From Mackinac to Motown, from Muskegon to Madonna, you're listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree, coming to you from Olivet College. This is your guide to all things music, all from the state of Michigan. One of these days, I am going to make a map of the Detroit area and specifically write down where all of the different suburbs are. Oh? How many bands have we had that have all been in one of those suburbs? Yeah, that's fair. I was going to say, it's been getting kind of confusing to keep track of which is which, and I'm surprised they're all somehow still the Detroit area. Yeah, because we all think of them as different cities, but when you're driving through, it kind of just all seems like Detroit, right? Yeah, I've never really made a point of separating them, in my mind at least. Yeah, but they're all these different little communities with their own histories and their own music culture, and the bands that come out of those are just as fascinating, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Including one we might be mentioning today, formerly known as The Wild Bunch. It's true. So if you've ever heard of the Electric Six before, they didn't originally go by that because back when they formed in 1996, they went by the Wild Bunch and they're from Royal Oak, which is again, one of those Detroit suburbs. I feel like even though we hear a lot of music coming from Detroit, there's a lot to be said about the different sounds that come from each suburb. Like we've covered literally Motown, jazz, now rock music. Like there's a whole wide array of genres just from this one major city. And I find that fascinating. And I think this one is sort of one of the most fascinating because there's this, the late 90s were a strange culmination of music. (laughs) Let's just go with that. That's a good way of putting it. Because I don't think I'd ever... I don't think I've ever read the phrase synth metal before this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a very 90s kind of sound word thing. (laughs) But it totally fits if you listen to any of their music. Mm -hmm. It's totally synth metal. Like, that's that makes perfect sense. There's no other way to describe it. But they really just started out in the mid-90s and just kind of took off through the early 2000s. Give or take about six months. (laughs) In around 2000 there. The band was originally composed of Tyler Spencer, who went by the name Dick Valentine, on lead vocals, Corey Martin on drums, who went by M, and the rock and roll Indian Anthony Self as lead guitar, and Serge Jobot, a.k.a. Joe Frezza, on rhythm guitar, and Disco, a.k.a. Steve Nawara, on bass. That's still only five, though, right? Dick, M, rock and roll... Surge, Disco, and yeah, that's five. (laughs) And yet, the Electric Six is a six-piece band. So eventually, we did get that sixth name, but at first, because they weren't technically the Electric Six yet, they just had the five people. They only became the Electric Six after Dick Valentine came back from L.A. He moved to L.A. for about six months 
in 2000 to pursue an acting career. But he eventually just decided, you know, to come back to Detroit and to take this band back up again and had already written a whole bunch of songs and brought them back as Electric Six. So they might not have had those six members at first that made them officially the Electric Six, but around 2003, there was a bit of turnover with the band, and then those numbers would have jumped around right in there and then landed them at the Electric Six. And of course, that's when we start to see Johnny National, Tate Nucleus, the Colonel, and a few others right around that 2003 to 2007-ish era of the band. And keep in mind that some of them are still a part of the band today. There is only one of the original band members from the 1990s, but there's still a good few from the early 2000s that stuck around. Which was pretty early on in the band's career, if you think about it. But around the 2003-ish age, there was a release of their album, Danger High Voltage. And this album in particular had a bit of speculation around it because of some rumors that were going around. Yeah, there was a rumor that Jack White sang on the album. Yep. That would be true. Well, none of the band members officially could say whether or not he was, and some of them even insisted that they were instructed not to say whether or not he was on it. Yeah, there is a little bit of like legalese here where it was like they could neither confirm nor deny that Jack White was officially part of the album. And actually, I heard a rumor somewhere that it was just like some guy. Yeah, um, I was going to say they were quoted in some interview. It's not listed in this, unfortunately, that uh, saying that it was actually just a fan and they put on a competition to see who would win. But they speculated that he might have even been the only guy to try out and he was just some mechanic. Well, that mechanic was good enough to rival Jack White. So... Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he sounded similar conveniently. (laughs) But instead of Jack White's name appearing on the credits for this song, it was an unknown John S. O'Leary. Hmm. Coincidence? Maybe. But uh, it seems a little too convenient for me. I'm not going to lie. So there's definitely still some speculation on whether or not it was the White Stripes because I think they did a re-record of the album. I feel like that would explain why there's so much confusion around the one song. Makes sense for sure. But that doesn't mean that they don't have a bunch of great other songs without all of the confusion. (laughs) Another great song that they actually recorded around this time period is called Gay Bar. And it was apparently inspired by a night out in Detroit's gay bar scene. I love that for them, I know, me too. (laughs) The intention was not to be homophobic. Yeah, absolutely not. And it's like, if you listen to the song, it's very much just like, it's club music. Yeah, they were trying to be playful while also doing that scene justice. Like, they wanted to highlight it, especially Detroit being their hometown. And I don't know, I just thought it was really cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I know that M, the original drummer, was asked in an interview if it was, like, meant to make people angry. And it wasn't. No. Yeah, they're told, like I said, it comes off really playful. Like, even if you watch the music video, which is interesting, (laughs) it doesn't seem like their intention is to cause harm. Like, it really is just that dance club playfulness you tend to encounter when you're out and about. (laughs) Yeah, I, so this, this interview is from Free Williamsburg. And he's literally says, it's a song of nonsense. 
Like, that's just what it is. And I think that just perfectly encapsulates the whole thing. And it's just, it's fun. And that's a pretty normal theme for their music, honestly. I've seen him repeatedly say in multiple interviews that a lot of his songs don't really mean much or they're not supposed to be taken very seriously, so. Oh, yeah. And keep in mind that Dick Valentine writes most of their songs, too. Like, I've heard that he has, like, 20 to 30 tracks in his head going at a time and just comes up with all of these genius songs. And he's been in the band since the beginning apparently came back from LA with 50 in his head and just kept writing and the band is still going today like they released music in 2021 I was actually about to say I think I saw on their website it says we're back and I was super excited to see that they have some tour dates listed even so yes they do and we will get into that a bit later nearing the end of our show But no, like they're still releasing music and there's a special kind of person that can come up with music that fast and have it be popular and still have such a large audience, even over a 20 plus year time span. And the audience is growing, might I add, by at least two people. Speaking of not taking things too seriously, this is a little bit random, but I found an interview on YouTube that was published by Kids Interview Bands. And so it's literally two little kids interviewing Dick Valentine. Can you send me a link to that later? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) But during this interview, I found out some not so serious answers to some funny questions. Like, what would the band change their name to if he had to pick only a movie or show name? Ooh. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Can't object to that, honestly. (laughs) Okay, you can tell throughout this that his tone was very nonchalant and playful because, you know, when the the two children asked what his biggest fear was that he would want to overcome, it's apparently he's afraid of donating blood. He gets nauseous and faints every single time he goes to, but he wishes he could. Honestly, I can understand that as, I mean, like I've got my own share of issues. I'm not a huge fan of needles, but I've had my blood drawn enough times that I feel like I could get through it, but it's the volume of blood that they take that would make me nervous. Mm -hmm. That is always something that gets me too. Like I've done blood testing before, not too much of an issue, but if I were to see like the stuff off to the side (laughs) that I usually try to avoid looking at, I would probably get a bit faint too, but The last question that really stuck out to me and I found as the most important is what is his favorite Spice Girl? And his answer is that he's always preferred Sporty Spice, but he was kissed on the cheek by Baby Spice. Oh my god, I was going to guess Baby Spice. (laughs) It's a moment he says he'll never forget, but um, yeah, his favorite was always Sporty, but him and and Baby shared a brief moment together. Speaking of iconic 90s music, my goodness. That's why I had to surprise you with it because we were talking about iconic 90s stuff and I was like, there's nothing more iconic than the Spice Girls. Of course not. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. Wow. I'll give you minutes to process. I was really going to guess Baby Spice. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) I feel like most people would, but I'm very pleasantly surprised that it was sporty. If we're going to keep talking about kind of like the more ridiculous, funny side of things, we need to talk about Radio Gaga. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. So we all know Queen. Yeah. Obviously. I would hope so. If you don't know Queen. Go check them out. Who are you? Where have you been living under a rock? Educate yourself. But they did a cover of Queen's Radio Gaga. And of course, two members of Queen heard it. They saw it. And one of them wasn't exactly impressed. Okay, to be fair, though, the other one did like it. So can't be too bad. (laughs) 
Yeah, and that would have been Brian May who liked it, but Roger Taylor was the one who was unimpressed, according to Kerrang, which, given the circumstances, maybe I kind of do understand, because if you're going to dress up as a ghost version of Freddie Mercury, you got to do it right. Yeah, I feel like the intention here was probably not problematic. Like, I feel like they meant to break humor, but also honor Freddie in a way, but it came off as very different. (laughs) Yeah, I can I can see where that might have happened for sure. They described it as wanting to be able to resurrect Freddy from the grave for three and a half minutes so that he could just shine that level of energy on people, you know, bring him back in a way that they were able to. But instead, a lot of fans took it as them portraying dancing on Freddy's grave, which is a pretty big insult. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like, after having done more research on this band, I can see where their tone is and how they typically come off, but it just kind of missed the mark for me. Yeah, I can definitely see where that could have happened. This is your Points of the Mitten trivia question of the week. Last week, we asked which Michigan artist recently played James Madison's Crystal Flute. If you said Lizzo, you'd be correct. Lizzo was given the honor to play former president James Madison's crystal flute courtesy of the Library of Congress. This week's question might call back memories from our radio show days. Which other late 90s, early 2000s Michigan artist has a similar style to Electric Six? Just a hint, we may have mentioned them this episode. If you think you know the answer, add us on Twitter at TheMusicalMI, and we'll be back next week with the answer and a shout out for who got it right. You've been listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree. If you've been with us since the beginning, you know that we started as a radio show on WOCR 89.1 The One, Olivet College. Our goal when we started was to share all of the incredible talent from across the state of Michigan, past and present. Now, we've been able to talk to artists from all over the state and share their stories with you. If you have any suggestions for who we talk about or to in the future, Fill out the form on our website, themusicalmitten.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. So just a quick reminder, we are talking about some more iconic music from the late 90s and the early 2000s being the Electric Six. And we've really hit some of the more interesting side of 90s music with the White Stripes and the Spice Girls, but we really need to take it into the 2000s a little bit, I feel like, because that's when we were growing up more and we might not necessarily have known the music, but we can definitely identify with some of what was going on in that time period, right? Oh yeah, the general chaotic nature of music at that time. Right, and like even from performing at Coachella in 2004, like that is a music festival that is massive with our generation. Like it is so popular. Yeah, I was gonna say, I wonder if it had that same level of extremeness as it does now back in 2004. Well, given the vibe of their music, I wouldn't be. (laughs) Fair, fair. I will say, though, even though we've talked about, like, the fact that they're kind of fun and kind of silly, that's not to say that they're not a little bit serious, too. I mean, they've got some bite when they want it. I mean, I would almost go as far as to say that it, like, borders on punk rather than metal, right? Yeah, I listened to a couple of their songs throughout the week, and I would definitely agree. But they don't really necessarily identify with a political party. Like, I could not find a political affiliation whatsoever, but they will still take jabs at current events. Oh, yeah. And I mean, 
I feel like that's a pretty common thing that you'll see. Like we're inspired by the events around us. Oh yeah. And especially with all of the events that happened in those early 2000s era, maybe that shaped their music into what it became, right? That is a really good perspective on it. And I know that, like you said, despite not being super politically affiliated, they have made some jabs that I'll tease about a little later about government conspiracies and whatnot. I know. I'm looking at a archived Seattle Weekly article on the Wayback Machine right now. That's from, it looks like around 2006. But even like way back then, they were talking about all of these different political events and making fun of all of these different things. And it sounds almost violent. Like if you're just straight up reading the lyrics, but then listening to it, it's a completely different thing. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I would actually agree with that a lot. I didn't quite catch it because I haven't listened to them separately. But thinking about the lyrics of some of the videos that I watched, it has a very different tone than the silliness that they kind of tend to come off as having. But yeah, I just thought that that was interesting how that they could build such a fun synth disco punky reputation all on sort of the events of the time and ultimately were shaped by the events around them. I know you were talking about the song Gay Bar earlier and how they went and experienced the gay bars in Detroit and then wrote that song to be almost a reflection of it. And I feel like that's almost like the perfect example there because you're really able to see the correlation and then also the wider correlation of current events impacting their music too. That's true. Like you can tell from their music that their experiences and I had only like really considered their personal experiences but like even the political experiences going on around them have like strongly impacted what they've decided to write come out with and how they decide to portray it it's really fascinating we've been talking a lot about their creative process and their writing style but we haven't really said a lot about how they perform or what they prefer to perform In an interview with PCM Interviews on YouTube, Valentine actually talks a lot about how he tends to just play their bread and butter songs, the things that are expected of them, because they know that it grows their fan base. And it stinks because he really wishes he could play what he describes as like the deeper cuts, but he understands it to be like this necessary, not evil, but necessary evil. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, okay. If you have an artist that you like and you go to a concert for them, there are certain songs that you're definitely going to expect. You're going to expect those radio hits that everybody knows. Like, I don't know why this is coming to mind right now, but if you go to a Fall Out Boy concert, you're going to expect to hear Centuries. Yes. You're going to expect to hear something like you might hear Uma Thurman and you might hear My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark because those are the songs that everybody knows. But then you're going to want to hear if you're like a if you're like a fan and you just haven't heard them casually, like if you have listened to their entire discography, you're going to want to hear more of those underrated tracks, right? Yes. So continuing on with the Fall Boy example, because I'm apparently in a mood today, you might want to hear Miss Missing You or Save Rock and Roll or Jetpack Blues or... I'm going to go home and listen to Fall Out Boy now. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I've had What a Catch Donnie stuck in my head for the past two days. Oh my gosh. So I think that's why I'm in a mood. But like... Shoot, I can't think of the song, but like, the line, anything you say, Ken, it will be held against you, so only say my name. Most clever line of the world. I Oh, is, oh, That oh, is the give biggest me a flirty line ever. <laughs> give me a minute, because that's from the Save Rock and Roll album, and that's my favorite Fall Out Boy yes. album. Yes! That would be... Would that be Just One Yesterday? Oh, you're right, you're right! Maggie for the win. My brain can stop thinking about it. 
<laughs> this is what I'm here for, folks. Uh, no, I really do need to go homeless with all of Widow. Along the lines of doing anything for publicity, the interviewer had heard that members of Electric Six said that they were looking for a band to fight at this festival that they were performing at the time. A band to fight? Yep. Because apparently fighting other bands gets you a lot of publicity, and that is an unspoken but common knowledge thing about festivals. Okay, no, but I do have like a logistics question here. Has this like fighting, like actually physically fighting on stage, or is this just like a battle of the bands thing? No, I think he meant physically fighting because he even went as far as to say that the drummer can take on anyone. So I think, I think they mean physically because, you know, drama. But I I would hope that it's a battle of the band style and maybe the drummer just has the best rhythm and can outplay anybody. Like, <laughs> I mean, we've heard some some pretty good drummers in our time. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, this band is, again, up there. <laughs> I mean, the original drummer, my goodness. Just so I can keep spitballing off of this interview because I find it really interesting. When we were speaking about like gaining all these new all these new listeners by, you know, what how would you describe this band to a new listener, you might wonder. Well, Valentine says that he would call their music nervous dance music. That fits. <laughs> that fits. I I don't know where it came from, but it does fit. He says, quote, we're nervous individuals, or at least I am. We try to get people dancing to remind you of what it was like to dance once, of what it was like when you had hope. And honestly, that just hit me in a way I did not expect it to freaking hit. Yeah, no, I I can totally see that. And based on the descriptions that I've heard of the band members, I can... I can understand why they would be perceived as nervous individuals. Like even descriptions of Valentine was like he was really quiet and a direct quote from a Detroit Metro Times article from the early 2000s was that he would rather be anywhere else. Ooh, I feel that. And it's kind of funny. Like it's one of those stories where the things aren't the way that you expect them to be or that you expect. That people expect them to be, I should say. You know, like, the superhero isn't afraid of flying, but in this case, he is. (laughs) And I kind of like that, because it just makes him seem more human to me. I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but... Yeah, no, I I can totally see that. And maybe they're channeling a part of their personality into their music, and that's why there's such an interesting split there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think... Not even just Valentine, but some of their other band members aren't what you would expect them to be because in this same Metro Times article, it's really just comparing their stage personas to who they were just as people. And like apparently M, the drummer, was calm and fun, but like on stage, he was all like smooth and suave. I've never heard the term mock androgynous before, but like... I can picture it. It's a term you might not hear often, but it does paint a very clear picture almost immediately. (laughs) And the same goes for the rest of their band members, where they'll just be like laughing and eating and talking and just having a good time and being all fun. But at the time of this interview, Tate Nucleus was still very new to the band. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this was early 2000s. But like, because he was new to the band, he was the newbie, the group was apparently like a little bit protective of him. And I think that's so sweet. That's precious. Are you kidding me? That gives me protect the goalie vibes. Sorry, if you guys don't watch hockey, basically any hockey team's goalie is the most protected member of the team. And if you try to throw hands with them, just expect the whole team to come after you. That's all I'm going to say. Understandable. (laughs) But 
I feel like you hear about a lot of bands where like new member isn't automatically accepted or there's a bit of infighting. Or they're more protective of the band than the newbie, which is interesting. Yeah, but this is just so different than anything I've ever heard. And I feel like that also fits with the rest of the band where it's definitely like they're different. That's what's always stood out to me. So speaking of weird and quirky, I don't think that they've made a new music video to go with any of their music since, what is it, 2010, right before their Zodiac album, which at the time was their seventh album. And the reason for this is, A, they saw Pearl Jam do it, and they decided that they were in a similar place where they were just middle-aged and all at different places in their lives, and it was getting increasingly difficult to get together and do something like that. That being said, they did have a favorite music video. Oh, did they? Yes. So according to Valentine, the group at the time agreed that their favorite video was Formula 409. The reason for this is the whole band is in it. And there's apparently very few where it's the whole band. It's usually Valentine or some variation. Also, it was filmed in Detroit, which we love. It had lizards, which, you know, Valentine apparently really likes and government conspiracies. If you are curious, you should probably check it out because I don't think I could explain that music video to you if I tried because I did watch it this morning and it is, it's wonky. You're going to have to send me a link to that too because I'm suddenly suspicious of the combination of lizards and conspiracy (laughs) theories. I'll have to watch that because that sounds like a time and a half for sure. Going back to that album where they said that they were going to stop doing music videos for I'm a little frustrated with it. I'm not going to lie. It seems like most interviewers that I look at ask them this question. Well, it's called Zodiac. Is it about the Zodiac signs? Like, what's the thing here? And basically, it was an attempt. They had a song called Typical Sagittarius that they wanted to put into this album. And that's why they decided to call the album Zodiac. They cut the song. It didn't end up in there. And then they have 12 unrelated to the Zodiac songs in there instead. So... Well, aren't there 12 Zodiac signs? But that is as close to referencing the Zodiac as they get. (laughs) And that seems like an average number of songs for an album, so. And that also seems like an average thing for this band to do. Drive me insane. Just kidding. They're amazing. But I was just very, not frustrated, but surprised and laughed a lot when I was looking into the meaning behind the album name. Yeah. And speaking of albums, it's not like they haven't done stuff since... 2007 right i mean even most recently with streets of gold that came out in actually 2021 so pretty recent Hmm. and speaking of recent they're even touring that's exciting so wait do they actually have a new music video out since that time then I don't know about a new music video, but if you go to the Electric Six's website, there are tour dates. Currently, they're in England, so it's going to be a hot minute before they're back in the States, but they're going to be in Ferndale, Michigan on New Year's Eve. So if you don't have plans, I'm just saying. That sounds like fun. Go do it if you can. If you have the means to do so, please, I would be so jealous of you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have plans. (laughs) But that's going to be another concert that if you're able to get to and we're not able to get to, let us know what you think. Because based on what we know, an Electric Six concert is going to be an amazing time for sure. This has been The Musical Mitten, where we bring you all things music from Michigan. Check out our Instagram and Twitter at The Musical MI for any announcements, events, and more. All of our past episodes, radio show, and podcast are on our website at themusicalmitten.com. Again, that's T-H-E, 
M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I-T-T-E-N dot C-O-M. Check for updates in all of those places or keep listening in for weekly episodes. We'll be back next week.